Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, good whatever time you're listening to this podcast. My name is James Albarn and welcome to episode 29 of The Last Line. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Um, this week I am chatting to songwriter and member of the band White Lies, Charles Cave. Um, I spoke to Charles couple of months ago now something like that earlier in the year um i can safely say that without there having been much changed uh in the world um if you're in the uk you're pretty much still in a lockdown which is fun you know you're starting to get out of it um but we were very much in lockdown when we had our conversation uh white lies of course the band behind now five studio albums uh to lose my life ritual big tv friends and 2019's five um and in 2019 white lies also celebrated their 10-year anniversary of their first album to lose my life and they celebrated this with a reissued deluxe uh edition of the album and a anniversary tour in which they played the album from start to finish in full uh then followed by a set of their more recent songs and that uh is what we start the conversation with so without further ado here is charles cave Yeah, I guess we should get like the sort of slight fanboyishness out of the way because I'm a massive okay. White Lies fan. Cool. Um, and I th- I want to say, I mean, I might be wrong, but I want to say that the To Lose My Life 10th anniversary gig at Brixton was probably the last gig I went to before. Yeah, it was, I think the last, I think it was the last gig I went to. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, that's a lie. We did... Um, we we i remember we 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 weren't able to kind of celebrate that as much as we'd like because um after the second night we basically the next morning we had a, like a really early flight to iceland um we had a show in Reykjavik where that was kind of like the last and that was yeah that was basically the last show of the year and therefore the last show of that we've played and so god that's um well yeah it's a year and a bit ago it's it's mad. I, I mean, yeah, this will definitely be the longest that we haven't played for. Um, yeah, definitely in in what thirteen years or something. So, Even between like albums and stuff, you. I th- I think so because I think you know even when we were like writing another album or something, there would always be like a few festivals put in in the summer and things like that. Just you know, kind of pay the bills to be honest, and yeah. um, so. So yeah, it's 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 been a long time, and it's slightly intimidating the thought of because so much of the, all of that is like it, you know it becomes such muscle memory, and whenever you whenever you start a new like headline tour to support a new album, the first shows are always a bit terrifying because there's no muscle memory for like the new songs. Yeah. So you're so you're just sort of stood there, very much thinking like, what's the next note? Um, but generally speaking, because, you know, I've now been playing for like, well, playing live 
uh, with white lies for uh, 12 years or something so much of it is I think or should be like part of my kind of um yeah sort of instinct and and and, and yeah there's this 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 muscle memory so I'm hoping that hasn't gone I still it's not like I haven't been playing you know instruments at home but um I don't know just even things about like you know, switching effects pedals off and on actually yeah. takes a little, takes a whilst playing and whilst singing sometimes, like it takes a little bit of thought and a bit of, yeah. And I hope I haven't forgotten all of that because <laughs> it'll be yeah. a bit of a trial by fire going back into it. But I, you, you know, I think it. And you're probably not playing White Lie songs at home, I would imagine, even when you are. No. Playing, unless no. you're doing like new stuff, I guess. But yeah, no, not really. So, um, well, we'll have to see. But, um, <laughs> You know, it feels like it's getting, it does feel like it's getting close to a time when we might be able to play again. But um, I'm being like cautiously yeah. realistic on the, on the, or maybe even on the edge of pessimistic about it because I just, you know, in the same way we had all this with Christmas, like, yeah, you're going to have a great Christmas with your families. And then, you know, sure, sure enough, we didn't. Um, I, yeah. And with Brexit too, man, it's just, it's going to be, in some ways it doesn't make much well it doesn't make much difference day to day to us like for musicians but i pity our tour managers and our managers that are now having to go through all this potentially new tedious kind of paperwork whether it's with carnets for the equipment or like some kind of visa permits and whatever you know sounds that whole that whole um i remember uh because i I follow well because he was he, I mean fan of the band anyway but he was on the mm. podcast the very first person to do the podcast actually um Jay Wilgis from Public Service Broadcasting Oh yeah yeah um and obviously when that whole thing about um the government sort of like the e- EU were like open to doing something like working yeah. passports yeah. for musicians and stuff and the government turned it down and then claimed yeah. that they never did and yeah that was just that whole sort of that whole situation not to make this show too political but that whole yeah. situation just seemed <laughs> bonkers to me yeah but- yeah i can only hope that you know it is just like teething issues and it will it will get figured out because the fact is um you know uk music is a massive it is a massive export and there are a lot of um you know a lot of the the venues that we play in europe when you look on the wall at the listings of who's playing in the same month <clears throat> a hell of a lot of them will be you know okay either uk or american acts um as well as local acts so I, I just can't imagine, you know, a country like the Netherlands saying we're going to make it impossible or extremely hard for UK bands to play here now because it's it's not really in anyone's interests. Even though I'm sure everyone's, you know, sort of fuming with the um, insanity of what Brexit has involved um, in general, I don't think they don't think they want to sort of make us suffer for it in that way. I think we'll suffer yeah. for it enough anyway. <laughs> so, and I, I think it, even if uh even if there are like, you know, both sides sort of fuming about different things. I mean, I think every side is fuming. Like the people yeah. who want to remain are fuming because obviously yeah. we, we didn't want to leave. Yeah. Um, the people who wanted to leave are, fu- are kind of fuming anyway because they don't feel like they've gotten what they thought yeah. they were getting. 
Yeah. Uh, and the EU are kind of fuming because it's just like they they I I feel like they just think we're silly. So yeah. And yeah. So you you hope even like you said like it maybe it dies down after a little bit of time and yeah everyone sort of sees common sense about things but yeah i think that's the one thing that does um in, in not to be too controversial but in some ways is a very european thing is common sense compared <laughs> compared to other parts of the world like i feel like most of europe even though we have you know different political systems around the different countries and, and different you know ways of of running countries within europe i think common sense is like a prevailing quality um whereas you know a lot of i think the issues that have arisen and continue to arise in america in my opinion are often down to a fact of just sometimes just letting common sense be the thing that that leads you know how something's done i always remember i tell this story all the time but it still just blows my mind um, and it's really indicative to me of how a lot of America works is I was, um, I was there actually playing with another, another band, um, just randomly, um, years ago for South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. And, um, we had a gig in a bar like one afternoon and we arrived in the morning really early, I think like, you know, 10 to get into this gig. And we had all our equipment out of like a, a car or something and, you know, standing there and they were like, they wanted to ID all of us before we could even go in with our equipment. It's like, okay, fair enough. Did that. Went in, sound checked. Then we were like, oh, let's go get some lunch. So we left and we sort of waved to the bouncers and we're just like, thanks. We're just going to get some lunch. We'll be back, back in a bit. And they were like, cool. And then we got back and they were like, they ID'd us again. And we were like, we were like, why are you, why are you IDing us again? Like, it's us like you know seen you an hour ago and they were like yeah we just got id you again so it's like all right so we did that and then we played the show and then we loaded our equipment out of the venue into into a van or something and then uh and then by that point there was a massive queue out the front because um it was turning into like a nightclub or whatever and i literally put like a you know an amp in a van turned around to go back in and get my bag and they were just like, you need to go to the back of the queue. And I was like, it's me. Like I've just played a gig. I've seen you, I've seen you all day long and I've been in a gig. And they're like, and they're just like, yeah, I know, sir, but you have to go to the back of the queue and queue up. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like my bag is in there. Like what? And they were just like, and they got really, you know, they were very much like back of the queue. So I had to queue up to get back into this place that I just played in. And when I got to the door, <laughs> they ID'd me again. And I was just, I was just like, it just made me think, you know, this is, this is where like, that would just never happen in, in so much of Europe because it's just common sense. Like a bouncer knows that if they've, if they've ID'd someone once or even twice that day and they, they can remember a person, they don't need to go do it again. Whereas in, I think in America, it's just all about the law or the rules that have been written down. And there is no deviation from that. Even if it makes zero sense, you still just have to stick to the rule. Also as well, I feel like, um, I bet in America, there were people at the front of that queue that were like, oh, this guy trying to get in. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and over here, it'd be like, someone at the front would be like, oh, come on, mate. He clearly just came out of the back. Let him in. Yeah. That would (laughs) would be the reaction. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So, so yeah, that's, that's, that is, I think, um, in my opinion, I write a long book about it. The great hope of Europe is common sense. <laughs> the thing that ties us all together, maybe. Um, so going back to that, to lose my life show yeah. in Brixton, mm. I just, the, the, my sort of abiding memory of that was the reaction you got yeah. when you came out. I don't know if you yeah. remember, you've probably done so many, well, you haven't done so many gigs in between. We just yeah, started. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that reaction when um, death started and you fired yeah. out confetti and it's like yeah. the place, was, like the atmosphere that night was yeah. really like yeah. quite special, really. Yeah, they were amazing shows. Um, uh, like definitely up there with, with the best we've ever played. Um I think, um, I think probably like yourself, a lot of people got that record at quite um, a pivotal time in their growing up. And there are certain records that you hear when you're between, I think, 12 and 15 or something like that, or 12 and 16. And they just kind of, they kind of just stick and they last. And as long as they're not a style of music that is going to obviously just date very badly. Um, they're just, they just, they just become a bit of a part of you. And so, you know, we've found that a lot of those people that were with us at that kind of age, when to lose my life came out and now, um, you know, anywhere in sort of late twenties or, or thirties, some of them, you know, are kind of well they're young adults now and some of them even have kids and we you know we get a lot of photos and people being like you know we're playing white lies to our six-month-year-old baby kind of thing it's and and you know we we remember coming to gigs on the first album when we were at university though you know those kind of stories that's just really does really that wonderful feel, does that make you feel old though does that when, when, when someone does... it does it doesn't it doesn't like you know, the fact is as well is because um, obviously the life of a the life of a of a young musician that never goes to university and just goes on tour is like you have this really warped sort of perspective of time because yeah. to, like for me really it was like finished school, mucked around for a couple of years you know on a gap year which I didn't go anywhere I just stayed in London, um, and then the band you know the band kicked off and basically just been touring ever since so. I've never had any of those, um, the last kind of like logical sort of boundary of life that I've had has been, has been just collecting my A-level results. And I feel like um, for people that go to university, being a first year at university is a thing unto itself and being a third year at university is also a thing. And then, getting your first job after university that you, you sort of collect up all of these, like it's like in a video game. It's like these like save, save points, you know? Um, Whereas I've never had that and never will. And so for me, it was like finish school and then the, the, the rest has just been this splurge. So in, in sometimes I feel old and other times it almost just feels like nothing, like no time has passed since we started touring because of, because it has, even though, you know, the venues have got bigger and, and things like that. And when we're touring on a tour bus now and not in a van, um, 
largely like day to day, it's very similar. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and I'm not saying the places are similar, um, but the the lifestyle doesn't change too much. I think it, I think the only point where perhaps for us, we would feel like we're entering a new age or something of our career and of our life is if for whatever reason we, you know, we released an album that completely blew up and then all of a sudden you're, you know, you're playing arenas and things like that. And then it's like, then it gets different because you sort of, you know, we've, we've done shows with massive bands and they like fly in for a show and fly out the same day and stay in hotels when all the crew gets on a bus and you know, crazy, it all gets, you can basically just start doing what you want. But um, I also worry that we've been doing it this way for so long that that just wouldn't suit us anyway. So we're actually, we're just best suited to kind of just plowing on exactly how we have been. Also you're Um, on the risk of like, if you suddenly became an arena band, you'd have all the, all the fans like me who'd watched you in like, different yeah. sized rooms throughout being yeah. like oh, yeah arena now i don't like i know you know i mean i be about it it, dep- it it depresses me so much every time now you know nick cave goes on tour and i see that he's playing the o2 and i just think man i'm not going to the o2 to watch nick cave like i don't know why it just feels wrong and i've and i've actually only seen him play once um with the bad seeds um at a festival and it was absolutely amazing and um that was kind of okay because it was it was actually at Coachella and it was um beautiful kind of dust stormy evening and and he played an amazing amazing show and I was right at the front so that was great and so much as I'd love to see him again um I just not kind of ready to go to the O2 like yeah just weird going to see Nick Cave where there's like a Nando's 30 meters away (laughs) just doesn't make sense to me there's also I think um some some artists can like that it feels right like I saw childish gambino at the mm. o2 which right. was and i was i was grumpy about it being yeah. the o2 <laughs> yeah and we were right at the top like that terrible seats but yeah he was amazing because the the show he put on was like yeah he was he, he was amazing but then i also one of my favorite bands is war on drugs yeah and they did the o2 when i saw them and it just felt it didn't feel right it didn't it yeah. didn't feel like the the kind of space that not that they couldn't do it but because yeah. they're obviously like a hugely talented band but yeah yeah just like it didn't feel like the kind of room they should be playing i felt like it should have been yeah. like the roundhouse or the royal albert hall or you know yeah, something yeah, like yeah. that um, yeah. not to say white lies couldn't do it it would be kind of interesting to see what a white lies gig at the O2 would be like, but I don't know. We, do you know what we'd always pick like to do, even though you get paid so much less like to do it, we would so rather do like, you know, three, four nights at Brixton than one yeah. night at the O2. Definitely. Definitely. Um, I don't know. It's just um, something kind of gets, gets stripped away a little bit from the, from the, from the gig experience. I remember like I, uh, my girlfriend won some tickets to go and see like some tennis at the O2. I have no interest in tennis. I, whatsoever. I've seen tennis at the O2. Have you? Okay. Right. So my girlfriend won tickets to see some tennis and, um, she went ahead. I think it was like a day long event or something. And she's not interested in tennis either, but she just won a ticket. And was like, I'll just go. And I went to meet her later. And, and I, <laughs> I just, I just bought some like, fruit pastels in a bag you know a little fruit pastel from the shop 
and they got confiscated on the way in. Like, you know, they had to like, you have to like get searched on the way, way in. And they yeah. confiscated my fruit pastels. And it really just, I was like, Jesus, you know. That's one of those weird ones though, because you can buy them on the other side of the door at the O2. Yeah. There's like weird shops. I don't know. And I was just like, you know, they don't confiscate your fruit pastels at Brixton. Like, no. you know, this is, this is a different, <laughs> a different world here. Well, I've, I've pretty much seen you probably any time you've toured. Yeah. Um, so I've seen you at like, I think you did the Troxy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've seen you at the Forum in Kentish Town. Yeah. Probably Shepherd's Bush Empire a couple of times, maybe. Probably. Done there. I've yeah. definitely seen you because I'm from Bristol originally, so I've seen you right. at Bristol. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there was something like like you said, it's probably because it's such an important album in people's yeah. lives. There was something, I don't know, there was just something different about the atmosphere that night. I mean, the atmosphere is yeah. always good, but like that yeah, was just yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? It was... Yeah. I, I think it's because, right, like a, a normal White Lies tour, like a normal show even in London, um, I reckon people people come like alone with a partner, maybe with a couple of friends. Like, they're like, yeah, you know, White Lies are playing, let's go see them. Whereas I think with this one, because it was that record and that record probably had, had also bonded quite a few friendships back at, you know, people, yeah. when people were in high school or university. So I think there was a, a situation where when we announced them, it was a lot of people being like contacting old friends, school friends, university friends and being like, we've got to go and do this like for old time's sake, you know, yeah. almost. Um, and I feel like there was a lot of, I think, I feel like even looking into the crowd, I sort of noticed a lot of like gangs, um, people that had really gone as like a, a big night out sort of outing to kind of, to, to sort of reminisce over when they first heard that record. Um, and I think a lot of it is university time, like when people were in university. So um and that's not to say that doesn't happen like uh, our other gigs. Um, often, you know, places that we play, like especially in Denmark, like when we play in Copenhagen, you just feel like everyone there is just having a massive night out. Like we played in, actually we played in, in Aarhus in Denmark once. And um, <laughs> and after the gig, the, the, the venue manager told our tour manager, um, like you guys have just set the record for the amount of booze sold in a night in like two years or something like the last, they were like the, the only band that sold more booze than you in the last two years was, um, who was it? It was, um, Oh, uh, Baroness, I think that yeah. metal band. So, you know, it's like, and, and you could tell, you know, people were just, just obviously there to have a big night. Um, and I think, I guess we kind of make that kind of music in a way. Like it's not, I'm not saying it's not obviously not like party music, but the sort of anthemic yeah. and quality of it. Um, and, you know, arguably we've always been described as having quite a, like a stadium or like arena sound, but I think that's almost what's so good and so unique about um, playing that kind of music in smaller venues is like when everyone's telling you it's arena music, but you're playing it in, you know, like large clubs or or theatres, it just feels really epic. <laughs> epic, yeah. I guess you know, it just feels like it's being held in by the walls yeah. a bit. Whereas if you go and see, you know, a sort of a more of a kind of folk style artist or or singer songwriter, even if they're very big 
popular, sell a lot of records, you go and see them in a big, big theatre like Brixton and it can feel small. The venue can feel too big for the music. So, um, yeah, it's just weird that. And and obviously a lot of this is just driven, driven always by money. And like when bands get to a point where they can technically sell out the O2, their managers obviously present them with this idea is like why would you not you know it's a great it's a great payday and why would you turn that down whereas actually i think a lot of the times you know it's more important to think about the music and think about will it actually be a really good night for people to do that or or would it just be better to do two three nights somewhere else to lose my life would would you say it's your most successful record in terms of like <laughs> It's most successful in terms of like record sales and chart position. But to be honest with you, that's it's quite a weird way of looking at it now because like, you know, people sell less and less records every yeah, year yeah. Sure. since. So um, technically speaking, like, I mean, I guess not to get all business about it, but we try and we would more likely to think about our records as like campaigns, yeah, which includes the touring. And actually five, the last one was, was the most successful. Um, okay. uh, you know, it was the biggest tour that we'd ever done and we sold the most tickets and, and the record was really successful. Um, and you know, and we got a lot of like, we suddenly got a lot of radio play again in, in Europe, especially not in the UK, but in Europe, um, loads of radio plays. So, um, yeah, I think probably, but since to lose my life, um, this, this last one was the most successful. Um, cause what I was gonna, what I was gonna ask was, um, was there a point where to lose my life kind of annoyed you a little bit not really not really um i mean i'm not sure i would necessarily if i could if i actually had a sort of choice in it would i choose to play all of the songs from to lose my life that we do every show yeah every show maybe (laughs) not like i wouldn't mind one you know, a couple of gigs a week, maybe not playing farewell to the fairground or playing to lose <laughs> my life. Like it's not, it's not like I don't like them. Of course not. It's just, you know, I've, yeah. I, 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 I can't imagine how many thousands of times I've played them. Um, so naturally, you know, you, you start to, they're not quite as stimulating perhaps as they were yeah. um, back in the day. But having said that, you know, like every time we go and tour again or for a new album, stuff changes like whether it's the i know it's boring but whether it's like the equipment we're using or um or in or sometimes you know we even sort of change up the keyboard sounds try and make keyboard sounds a bit better or whatever like that like so it it's always changing and also as like personally speaking i never play the same never ever play the same thing even on songs like fairground you know, every night, it's always slightly different, different fills and different, slightly different, you know, articulation of parts or whatever. So I make sure to keep it interesting for myself. Um, But no, I I can't lie. Like when we agreed, decided to do the anniversary shows and like, you know, do the re-release of the vinyl, I was, I had a little bit of hesitation only just because I just wanted it to come across in the way that it ended up doing like a, like a real celebration and not feel, and not feel like a kind of, you know, sort of vacuous um, (laughs) marketing idea kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But I think it's sort of, 
it's testimony to um testament to the to the record itself that it did it did not feel like that and it was um you know it was such a celebration um and yeah i guess and it was also it was just nice to play some of the songs from that record that we haven't in a long time like um playing nothing to give and 50 on our foreheads and from the stars as well things like that but we don't we don't play those every night at all um and actually maybe you know having done that tour a couple of those songs might become more more regular kind of um moments in the in the set you know next time we go on tour i'm not sure like but no not for a minute did it ever feel um uh forced actually like as soon as we got going as soon as we started rehearsing it but the other thing that was really really great that and a lot of people picked up on is you know because we went out and we did the whole first album in its entirety and then went off for two minutes and came back and did yeah the greatest hits from the rest and actually it became colorful in the uh, it did it suddenly became colorful and actually you know that second set most nights went down as well if not better actually um than than the first half and it, it it was a nice way of you know of kind of reaffirming to ourselves and perhaps to our fans like look we all know that the first album of any band is going to be special you know and and in some ways you can't you can't beat it it's that's just that the first album is like that um but actually you know we've done a lot of really really great stuff since and when we and when we pull it together in that kind of like best of set list um for 45 minutes 50 minutes you know it's pretty it's pretty powerful there was one kid um it was amazing at at the brixton show that you were at right down the front um he must have been i guess probably in his like mid-20s like really built handsome black kid and for the whole show all through to lose my life he was kind of looking really indifferent and I was, I was, I was kind of focused on him because I was a bit like, I was a bit like, well, you don't look like you're too into this, but you're not. You, it, but it doesn't look like you're with anyone. So it doesn't look like you've been brought along and you're just yeah. like not that into it. And I was kind of confused. Then we came out. I mean, he was like nodding, but it just, I don't yeah, know, yeah. it just looked a bit indifferent. And then, and then, at like whatever. I think it's like literally like the second to last song. We started playing um, that song hurt my heart which we released as like a, a one-off standalone yeah. sing- single and it started and this kid just like he, he was just like it's go time basically <laughs> like his he'd whole been waiting all night he'd been that. waiting all night for this song that we'd released like three months before i couldn't believe it we were That's there great. doing like a 10 year anniversary gig and he honestly he just kicked off like it was so i absolutely loved it i love when things like that happen and like just noticing people in the crowd and he you know i just thought what a legend like you know you've you've heard this song probably on on a radio or on a radio or on a i don't i don't know what you've discovered it and you've probably never known about our band before and you've decided to come to this gig that's like a 10-year anniversary gig just to hear this one song that we only wrote six months ago like it's just really cool i love that i love things like that that's really cool as well because you hope now that he's gone home and he's discovering all the yeah the back yeah, yeah, catalog yeah. and he's going oh that was the thing they were doing at the start yeah that was yeah why. yeah um but yeah, that, that second set list, 
because I, like, like I said, I'm a, I'm a fan of, of, of all the albums. I did want yeah. to talk about Ritual in a bit because I yeah. saw a quite a funny Instagram post from you guys when <laughs> that was the 10th anniversary of that. But yeah, that was what was great about that gig is that mm. second set list uh, w- was just as good as the first. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, the, yeah. you know, there's that there's so many, there's so much good stuff in there. Um, that because like, I guess at some, if you went to see some bands do that kind of gig, you mm. might get bored in the second set list for some bands. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it yeah, might be yeah, like, yeah. oh, well they've done the thing that I came to see now. And yeah. Whereas that was great. It was like, like to lose my life was like the best support band in the world <laughs> sort of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, like, honestly, yeah, we we finished that tour and it was a short tour. You know, I can't remember. It was probably about, I think it was about 15 shows or something like that, like that To Lose My Life tour. And I would, I said I'd be happy just to do this, you know, ongoing for another 30 shows or whatever because it, it just felt so good and just the atmosphere every night was so, so, so good. And... And I think probably you're right because the reaction to that second set was, was amazing as well. That, that almost made the whole, made the whole thing just better because if we'd just done to lose my life and then a couple of other songs, it just would have, I don't know. It would have felt very like a bit regressive in a way. Like, I don't know, it kind of almost be like denying everything that we've done since, but actually, I mean, I even remember our manager, our manager came back after the Brixton show and was like, and was, and he actually said, you know, doing it like that actually highlights how much better a lot of the songwriting, you know, is in the second half. Like I know, you know, it doesn't necessarily have the same kind of um, emotional um, attachment to to some of our fans just because of the time that it came out and whatever. But um, yeah. So um, I I think we learned a lot from that tour and, and you know, we've, we've always said in in interviews like, when 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 people ask us oh what can we expect from the set list and like and things like that when we're going on tour we always say the same it's like we'll we basically play what people want like we know what people want and we always just want to give them that because it's still fun for us we like playing it and there's nothing worse than when you go and see a band and they just don't play things that they you know everyone wants them to um i just think it's dumb you know, um, is, is, it, is it that, is it that, have you heard that Neil Young, is it Neil Young that did it? That anecdote about Neil Young, he came over and he was like releasing a new album, but it wasn't out yet. Yeah. Yeah. And he like came over to London, played that from start to finish. And like, by the end, the fans were just like booing because they like, he wasn't playing anything. And then he came back on and said, and now here's one, you know, and then did it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh God. Yeah. I think I have heard that. Luckily I actually, to tie it back in, I actually did go to the O2 to see Neil Young. My friend, um, no, sorry. My girlfriend had a, had a ticket. She, she used to be a um, journalist and was reviewing it. And I was like, yeah, go on, I'll go and, I'll go and see that. It was actually really, really good. And he played hit after hit, um, pretty much, pretty much. Um, so, but I, I remember going, on my way there, I remember thinking like, oh, I've heard these stories, you know, this could, <laughs> this could be anything like this could be, 
yeah, it could just be him playing like random covers or something yeah. like you never know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but no, we're never going to do that kind of, we never pull that kind of shit. I promise you. So when it was the, for the 10th anniversary of ritual, wasn't it? When, yeah there was something yeah so you posted like a kind of funny i don't know if it was you or i don't know who runs i think it was jack it was jack yeah no it was jack i mean i i have access to it but i don't usually post on there it's just jack um about how yeah i think you said like happy 10th anniversary to the difficult second album yeah which uh which made me laugh because i don't think many bands are that uh open about um <laughs> not being well i don't know how would you categorize it not being as happy with an album or yeah do you know what it's just um because i think it's a good album like and i think what you what what you saw in the comments for that were, were actually a lot yeah. of people being like oh no it's like got this one yeah no but yeah, yeah it's people, a lot of love for it i guess i think um i guess my issue with it is I feel like um hmm I feel like some songs on there were trying were trying we were trying too hard to just please people that like the kind of framework of a white lie song from To Lose My Life. Like I feel like songs on there like Strangers and Bad Love and um maybe Holy Ghost as well. Like they just felt like we were trying to tick boxes a little bit or like really just try and please our, please our fans and um, going basically too far down into the kind of like, um, I don't know, sort of angsty, got slightly Gothic, slightly electronic thing. I don't know. And then on the flip side, there were a bunch of songs where we were going, trying to do the total opposite and we were trying to be a little bit difficult on purpose. I don't know why. I mean, bands, artists do this all the time. It's you, you, every artist, I think, has a sort of um, kamikaze part of their brain that after really something really successful, they think, wouldn't it be quite fun to kind of mess around a bit? And so with songs like Turn the Bells and... Um, come down i guess like and i don't think they're bad songs at all i just think i don't know i think uh, the scary thing about it is that if that album hadn't have had bigger than us on it like we would not be here today like i just know i know we wouldn't or or we might but in a very different way like thank god that song was on that record because that's a lot of people's favorite white lies yeah and and we've we've and you like you end every show with that yeah we end every show with it we love it you know it's it's a great song i i guess my regret really is that and it's and i don't you know it's the one time where bands will tell you some very different things in terms of their relationship and their thoughts about record labels and a and r and things like that my opinion is looking back on it is that we were like i think we were like um, 20, I think we were 20 years old when we were doing Ritual. And even though we might have been a little bit pissed off at the time, I think if our A&R guy and our record label had turned around and just said, um, 
this isn't finished yet. We, we, we really like it and bigger than us is absolutely amazing, but we need one or two more songs like that caliber. I think we would have had a real tantrum for like five minutes. And then we would have been like, well, what's the harm in trying? We've got no choice really. They're not going to release it unless we do. And I think we probably would have ended up writing a few more songs that might have just made that album as a whole uh, uh, just better and actually might have, you know, might have, might have changed things because I do feel slightly that um, because, because that record didn't live up to sort of the, the commercial um, expectations of the first one, um, apart from bigger than us being a really, really successful, it did, it did mean that for the next few years afterwards, we were kind of, it was a bit of an uphill battle to kind of get, get, get back a little bit to where we were. Um, So, but do you know what? I mean, you know, no regrets really. Like, and, and also the other thing is, is just like not every album from anyone can be perfect. And, and you, you write these albums in compressed periods of time, whether it's a year, whether it's, that's the other thing is ritual we wrote so quickly like dangerous i can't mean it's like six weeks or something we wrote wow. that album in really just crazy I, I just i don't know what we were thinking we just got very cocky with the fact that we were starting to use like logic for the first time <laughs> um whereas with whereas with uh to lose my life we basically wrote the songs in old-fashioned way like yeah either alone at home and then meet up as a band and play them and demo them and stuff. Whereas ritual and ever since, you know, we've basically used computers to, to write. Um, so I have no, I have no regrets. Um, but I just feel like also just lyrically, you know, it's, it's just, I don't know. We were in a weird, I think we were, it's just in a weird place, like 20, 20 years old and, and had had a really nice taste of, of traveling the world on the first record. And, I don't know, maybe just got a little bit ahead of ourselves. Um, But then also you may not have, like it may have, like if you, if you hadn't have done ritual in the way you did, yeah, then maybe you wouldn't have learned that to then go on to like big TV. I completely agree. And big TV is still one of probably, probably my second favorite record, if not my favorite record actually of ours. And I think, um, I totally agree. And, it, and and the experience of ritual was basically like, okay, like net, right. We need to go in and we need to really, really think about songwriting now. And we need to get much better as songwriters. We need to go back in with Ed Buller who had produced the first album, um, who knows us really well. Like he knows our band and, um, the experience of big TV was, was great. Um, almost all the time. Um, the the original demos that Harry and I made for it were like so different to what the finished versions ended up as. Um, I think we were still slightly in that kind of ritual mindset of no, it's it's cool to like have a song that's just sounds tiny with just the drum machine and things like that. And you know, Ed Buller was like, no, 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 come on, like <laughs> listen, like listen to this. This is a rock song. Like come on, and yeah. you know, and as soon as we started playing around, we're like, oh yeah, you're right. Um, so every album has been a completely different, actually a completely different experience, a completely different. Um, we've been in a completely different place in our lives um, personally and as a band and the process has been different and the, the, you know, the writing, every, everything, it's never the same. 
um, which is equally terrifying and and I guess quite exciting too, because you 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 can't you just can't phone it in. At least we can't. It it, it would never ever work if you know if we sat down and we're like, look, let's just let's just do exactly what we did on the last one. We'll go to the same place. We'll work with exactly the same people and blah blah blah. Like it just wouldn't it wouldn't work. Also, as much as people might think that they want that from you like, yeah like fans might think like oh yeah we want another to lose my life yeah 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 um, totally actually if they got given that they probably wouldn't want that i completely agree and we fall into that trap every record like even on the last one um there's two songs like the song believe it from the last record and a song um denial and like they're they're totally decent songs i still like them but I know, I, I remember feeling like when we were writing them, it felt a bit like, well, this will be good. You know, this feels like good, solid, tried and tested White Lies song. And sure enough, actually, those are the ones that we dropped from the set list, like really quickly, because even That's though they're really... because I noticed that when I saw that tour. Yeah. I don't think you played Believe It. I remember thinking, oh, they didn't play... Yeah, Believe maybe. Or, they did, or you didn't it, play it on the 10th anniversary, like one of the two. You didn't yeah, play it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And it's just because like, even though it's totally decent, like it's a really good song, it's just, it's kind of, it is just a bit of like territory that we've already covered. And 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 in a set list, it's like, well, are we going to play Believe It or are we going to play the song To Lose My Life? And it's like, we're going to play To Lose My Life. So um I think every, but it happens less and less every record. So every, every time we make a record, we're very conscious of like, sometimes we write something and we think, wow, this sounds great. Like this is a banger. And then we just have to go, yeah, but is it, is it just pretty much the same framework as something else that we've done? Right. And, and is there any point in, in putting it out? Cause even though like, even though it, our fans will definitely won't dislike it, at all and they will like it i don't think it's gonna like create a new sensation of any kind within them i don't think it's gonna like it's gonna it's gonna sort of make them go oh like you know that's something exciting Um, yeah whereas something like time to give yeah exactly um, at the start of five that was like like a very long instrumental uh, yeah like bit towards the end and yeah like it's not a typical white lie song but yeah that you know that was i think was that the first one you released for five yeah it was it was because i was like we... oh this is this is interesting yeah. this is a bit different exactly and we would you know what, honestly like we were well harry never gets worried about anything like that because <laughs> he, just, he doesn't pay attention but jack and i were like really nervous um the night before that we were going to release that song um we were really nervous we were like we were a bit like we love it and wish i'm sure that a bunch of people will love it but we were a bit like is this really gonna you know weird out a lot of our fan base we just didn't know and um it was completely the opposite and it just goes to show that you know people do want to be challenged like they really do even if they say they don't they do and actually that's the song that um it basically became like a smash hit on 
on on Dutch radio. Oh, right. um, they do, they do this they do this thing in the Netherlands where on this on the big on the like Radio One channel of the Netherlands where I think it's called like the Power Play, where every week they pick a new song for a, the Power Play, which means it gets played every hour um for like a week or something and they played the seven and a half minute version of Toulouse of of time to give like every hour for a week (laughs) there's not a lot of time left to play other stuff exactly i mean i know i know and um it really you know that song just really it was it was so perfect that we had that and then we had tokyo to follow it up with it was like the perfect you know, it just made so much sense. It was like to, to release this really interesting, long, different, slightly challenging thing and then just come out with like a super pop, the most poppy song we've ever, you know, ever released afterwards. So um, it was just great success. Like I, that whole, the whole album, the whole campaign and the whole tour and then we ended it with the Toulouse My Life anniversary it was just it was the best I think it was the best 18 months of our career um, actually um, in it, all in all just it, everything just felt like up and and, yeah. and, cele- and celebratory and people connected with the record five more so than they had any other one since to lose My Life so it just it all just fell into place um, so we've got to be very conscious to not fuck it up <laughs> fuck it up now basically um you mentioned ed buller earlier and i was reading the the to lose my life book oh yeah the 10th anniversary vinyl yeah um and i think it was ed buller in there that you mentioned as uh it it may have been your other producer on that record right i who i'm max his name was yeah um who taught that you you mentioned one of them taught you about yeah, really sort of hammered home the importance of the album needing like, the album Ed. as a yeah. con- concept and yeah. needing to be a cohesive whole. And it was interesting yeah. how you mentioned him in the uh, conversation about big TV yeah. as opposed to ritual. Do you think yeah. it's that, that, uh, that sort of idea of, of making the album a cohesive whole? Cause when I think about big TV, mm. um, as opposed to ritual, which again, not sagging it off. Big TV feels like a more, maybe like a, a piece, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we, re- we actually, we, we did actually with big TV, um, we did things like, um, I believe like the chord progression from the song mother tongue in the chorus is actually the same chord progression that we then kind of flipped on its head to use for the song heaven wait. So there's, right. there's all these, there's, we, we, it was very intentional there. And there are little riffs that appear, um, that appear in some songs and then get kind of repeated, but in a different variation. And you've got those little elsewhere. interludes. Interludes and yeah, everything like that. But it was definitely, that was, that was, you know, our, our go at, at doing a sort of, it's not a concept record but yeah definitely something that felt very like much you know you need to listen start to finish um and um i can imagine doing that again sometime like it's not um yeah you know it's you just have to kind of have a good idea for it and there was a vague story that kind of went through big tv um that just made it kind of easier to do that. But I, I would never like force it, you know, because otherwise sure. like if you write a bunch of songs that um, that are good songs, 
but they're all very different. There's no point trying to like artificially weave them together. It's okay to have an album that is just a collection of great songs and you, you can design the track, the running list so that it flows nicely, but there's no point trying to do interludes between one and the next if they actually have nothing in common like it's just gonna it's gonna feel pretentious so that's um, actually really nice to hear because um i mean i I, I, i'm i'm gonna say i i do music but i always feel because of it it's like a thing that i've only just really sort of started in the last few years yeah. I, feel, I feel almost silly saying like oh i'm a musician even though i shouldn't but you know what i mean so, yeah yeah no uh, I, I get it um, even i don't feel like a musician <laughs> um yeah. but that's all that's something that i'm always like i'll write a song and then i'll write something else that will have say like yeah. a lot of piano in or something yeah and i'll be like oh no but now that doesn't fit with that and that they're yeah. like two they're two and really actually my songwriting matter. ability isn't that bloody uh wide that i can write yeah. something completely different they're still very much yeah. my songs you know what i mean but yeah 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 you always, and also, always worry about that yeah and also though it's it is very very easy at some later point to kind of just you just add these little tiny things that ties them together and, and the fact is even though people don't necessarily realize it if you use the same drum sound on two songs or the same piano on two songs that will be enough to actually you know bring it together not to mention a voice you know if yeah. you're singing it's if it's one person singing it's always going to sound like that um so it's definitely not something to stress over um it's only because you know i think every band has this slight like little bit of desire to try and do a dark side of the moon kind of thing <laughs> and and but that is very different and you have to like you have to plan that yeah you can't you can't just write a bunch of songs and try and drag them together you just can't it has to be like you you basically need like a a sketchbook and to be like this is how the record is going to look and um you know it's going to open with this kind of intro but we need this intro to come back about 40 minutes later and into another song somehow so it you know you i i I do believe that if you want to do that, it's actually quite like an academic process. Um, well, because you listen I'm to sure someone like really fun. you listen to someone like King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, who mm. sort of have made that sort of their bread and butter of making these albums that all flow into each other and look yeah, back on yeah. themselves and all that kind of stuff. But it feels almost like at this point they can't really do an album that's just like yeah, here's bunch a bunch of, of tracks that we yeah, make. you know what I mean? It's yeah, kind of like they're they're sort of in that thing now which they do very well but and like queens of the stone age you know they did on songs for the deaf like they've unfortunately no one can ever do that again where it's like where there are quite a lot of different styles and songs but it's like the radio in the car tuning to different stations like which is like at the time i think it's it's just really cool and i'm not they're not the first person to do it the first band to do it ever but they did it in a great way but you can't do that again you (laughs) know um so so yeah i think now it's like if you really want to make an album it's like a that's a real hole you do actually need some some music theory chops to be able to do it and it's not like the hardest thing in the world but it is it is just like i said if you write a song um that is good uh that's like a fast pop song let's just say the first thing to do would be to take one of the chord progressions from that song the verse or the chorus and maybe if it was major make it minor and then 
take half the tempo and you write a new song with you know with that set of chords slightly slightly altered and slower and you know i mean that's just a really dumb first example but it's things like that um or or you or you write um you know if there's a little um, a melody of some kind again you just you think well how else could that melody be played if what if there were less notes and what if it was minor and you know there's so many different things but you do need to like i think you actually do need to be a bit intellectual about it it's not you don't stum you don't stumble across a record you don't stumble yeah. upon making an album like dark side of the moon or whatever like other concept records um it does actually yeah like i say it just takes a bit of planning but it's it's not um you don't need to be like you know yeah you don't need to be like grade eight theory to do it yeah. you just need to, you just kind of just need to know what you're doing and know what your options are and set, um, and set out doing something like that rather than and just set, writing yeah. a bunch of songs and then trying to make them yeah fit together yeah exactly be honest with you like we've been we've been writing for a while um not like um you know all the time basically like obviously yeah. this this last year has just made everything completely different and and to a certain extent impossible but um yeah we've been working and 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 definitely you know a record is is, is coming together um i have no idea really like how long it will be or like um if i was to guess i think i think i would i think we would all love to put an album out early next year just because um it looks unlikely that anyone's going to be able to do any proper touring like this this year um or if they are it will be just like at the very end so um we've given ourselves time basically well we've given ourselves time and also the world has given us time <laughs> yeah. just because of what's happened but it was i think it's important to us that um as well you know after this pandemic, there is going to be an absolute sort of deluge of 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 art um, made in response to it. Um, even if it's not directly in response to it, and yeah. we're just we were just we're just so adamant that what whatever we do just can't in any way be kind of like influenced by what's going on because no, you know after this is hopefully whether it's not over but at least controlled people do not want to just be hearing about it all the time in the music and in film and tv i couldn't even believe when i think it as it already happened like the bbc have done like a dramatization of the pandemic or something and i i think they've done it i think it's already been been shown i think so and i was just like why i mean it blew my mind when contagion was like the most viewed film on netflix i'm like why do i want to watch that that's not i know it's bizarre (laughs) And like, um, so basically, you know, we've just been working in this way. That's like, we do a bit of work when we feel like working. And then when we start to feel like we're only working because of the situation, we just stop because right. it, it, you know, it'll just, it'll just be pointless. Um, so, um, but it's going to be good. Like, Hey, it's going to be, it's going to be really good. Uh, but like I was saying before, because, you know, because five was so successful, um, we definitely feel like we cannot 
at all just phone anything in like it's it's gonna have to be a really 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 great record and if it takes us a bit longer than it has the last few to do like it doesn't matter it's okay does it almost feel like being back at ritual again in a, in a weird way like having the success of to lose my life going into that um, but obviously this time you're wiser i was gonna say it, do, it, it doesn't because we are yeah we're wiser and we're we can we just we're very aware of what we're doing um and i feel like you know we're now we're now at a point where we write songs and we finish them and then we don't use them right. because we don't like them whereas before with ritual it was basically like anything we wrote like yeah that'll do that's great that's <laughs> That's another one on the record. Um, so we're much more selective and we're much, we, we get harsher and harsher on ourselves all the time. Um, like I said to you, you know, I think if we were writing five now, you know, maybe we wouldn't even put Believe It on right. the record. Like maybe, even though we, like I'm, I'm really not dissing that song. It's a really decent song. It's just like, we just get harsher with ourselves and we're yeah. a bit like, well, if it's not adding anything really new, to what we do then what's you know what's the point so um i can guarantee that whatever happens the next white lies record like it won't be you know it's never going to be like oh it's oh yeah it's this again like i I know i know this sort of thing um it will be different for sure um and hopefully i think different in a in a few ways like it's i don't think we ever we never start a record and we're like we're going to just do this like we're going to make a really electronic record or we're going to make a really heavy record it's actually more just like i think if anything our records get more um eclectic in the songs on them like different like style to style between songs so uh something for everyone and do you feel like at this point now though like because i guess it was different right when you were writing ritual um you'd had the success of To, to lose my life but you know that's one album so you're like yeah. If this goes wrong, we could just lose people. Um, I mean, I've never, yeah, I've never thought. This, is it at this point, it's like, we've got this fan base now that will come along with us and. Pretty much. Yeah. Which is very, you know, it sounds arrogant, but it's, it is true and it's lovely. And like, if, if I'm being brutally honest with you, making an app, making an album, making an LP is such an ordeal. Like it takes so long to write a really good album and to record it and to have the label, the label wants six months with it to like sort all the stuff out to release it. It just takes so long that if I'm honest, like I was actually the one um, sometime last year, uh, I think it was last year or even the year before. And I was just like, look, why don't we just do an EP? Like we've never done an EP before and it's so much more manageable. And like, we can just, we can really focus on like four or five amazing songs. Yeah. And then we can go on tour and like our fans will be happy because the fact is when we release a new album, we don't play every single song from it live. Like, of course yeah. we don't. So, um, but I was shot down and, and, <laughs> it was like, and it was just like, why wouldn't we, why wouldn't we do an album? And I'm just like, because it's massive ordeal and we don't, we don't necessarily need to like we could yeah. do an ep but then we could do another ep eight months later and put them together album and done. put them together <laughs> or like whatever you know so um so uh no we're 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 at that amazing point in our career where basically i mean even our booking agent said you know we can go and tour europe basically without any new material if we wanted like we wouldn't do that i don't think but 
he was like, or even just release a standoff, you know, standalone single and then go and tour Europe and we just play, you know, play the hits and play yeah. a new song. And but um, but we're ambitious, so we do always like we can't, we don't, we never, we're not lazy like that. So um we do always make it hard for ourselves, basically. And I think um it would have been really easy like last year to say, okay, this pandemic's gonna shut us down for a year let's just focus on doing something that's more manageable. Let's do a four track EP and then we'll go on tour in 2022. And that would have been, I think I would have been sensible, but no, it was like, <laughs> no, no, we're going to do, it's like go hard or go home. So um, here we are trying to, trying to make an album basically. You probably get asked this a, a lot about, you know, influences and stuff like that. And um, I've gotten in trouble before about compa- on a podcast comparing, right. Uh, bands to joy of it i had a australian band called city calm down on okay. my podcast and um i said oh you know and there's a bit of joy division in your sound isn't there yeah and i got the probably the same response that you would give me if i said that <laughs> to you about uh having a bit of joy division in your sound because i've seen that come up quite a lot and i was watching I think it was like a 10th anniversary fan Q&A thing on YouTube. And uh, you sort of talked about some of the records you were listening to at the time. Yeah. And um, uh, I think it was either you or Harry mentioned Scott Walker, Mm. um, who I'd never listened to before, but I started listening to him last night. And I was struck by how... It was kind of it was kind of weird. It's if you take out the sort of vibrato yeah tone yeah to his yeah. voice he sounds like harry yeah it's yeah kind, know, it's kind of weird yeah um so i, I just wanted all, to ask you about that sort of stuff well i think we got we got into scott walker because because when we started working with ed buller when we were like 18 and ed was like ed i think probably just said to harry like oh you know got i think it was more in the context of like the vocal sound he was like we need to use a he was like talking about reverb and he was like Oh, I want to give you a reverb that sounds like Scott Walker. And we were a bit like, who? And then he was like, you know, oh my God, you don't know Scott Walker, you know, listen to these albums. And then um, especially Scott Three, I really got into um afterwards. But um, in terms of like the influences, you know, or the comparisons, things like it, 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 it doesn't, it just it doesn't bother me at all, as long as it's always like phrased as a question. Because I think the thing <laughs> Because I think did I phrase that, it as a question. I don't think. Yeah, I, I think did. you did. I think. Oh, no, I think you did. But um, I guess. No, I guess that it's just like there was a time when it was like when journalists would be like, "Oh, and obviously, you know, you're influenced by Joy Division," and we really weren't like because, to be honest with you, um, we were influenced by the bands that Joy Division influence. Like sure. so. So for us, honestly, it's, I mean, I'd love to be really cool and be like, yeah, totally. We were, <laughs> we were, we were, we were listening to Joy Division when we were 16. We were, we were listening to Interpol because of course, like that's what was around. Yeah. And, you know, so Interpol's first and second record, especially much more of a point of reference for us than, than, than Joy Division. And the own, you know, the bands from the, 70s and 80s that we have always listened to mostly because in my case it's been sort of passed on by my dad is like um talking heads for sure like talking heads were a band that even when i was 
14, 15, mostly listening to new music. You know, when, when I was 15, most of the records I was listening to was like contemporary music, basically. But um, Talking Heads were a band that, yeah, I've always been into and just, and just always been a, a, an influence, basically. And I think there is some of that, especially in our more recent material, like, um, yeah. for sure. And, um, and then from, you know, and, and actually it was when we started playing, it's, I know it's so hard to imagine, but like we literally just rewrote like death, unfinished business, farewell to the fairground, um, to lose my life. And it's after we made those demos that even our manager was like, Oh, it has a bit of this and this and this and this. And most of the bands he was naming, we were like, never heard of that. And yeah. he actually made us, he made us a, a compilation. I remember he made us a CD with like, um, with, you know, stuff like Echo and the Bunnymen and Simple Minds and um, Fiction Factory and Furniture and all these kind of, some of them are slightly obs more obscure um, 80s bands. Most of it, honestly, we were hearing for the first time. Like, you know, the, the honest truth is I remember when, um, our, when we first like auditioned our keyboard player, Tommy, and he came to rehearsal and he was a bit like, so what do you guys like listen to? And I remember at the time it was basically like Sam's Town by the Killers oh, had right. just come had yeah. just come out, and we were all like, none of us had actually been big Killers fans on the first record, but then that one came out, and we were like, this is great. And um, because of the times, the third Kings of Leon record had just come out that year, and we were all like, this is shit hot as well. So the honest truth is, you know, at that point we were listening to just contemporary indie music um, sure. mostly. Um, but I grew up on meth. Uh, I was just big heavy metal kid when I was in secondary right. school, but also, you know, just grew up with, with Paul Simon and my dad played quite a lot of sort of kind of world music as well. So I don't know, just listen to everything. But yeah. the, the, the honest truth is like when we sit down to write songs, like this is just the music that comes out. Yeah. Like we never, we never really made any attempt to like, to sound like anyone else it's more just like it's more just like we don't really like acoustic guitars very much we don't really like um i don't know like uh i'm trying to think i don't know i guess we know what we don't like and then when yeah. it comes to like synthesizers and stuff like we love the more 80s sounding string synths and yeah I don't know. We just do, we literally just do what we like, basically. And, um, I, I think that's the thing though. Like uh, as, as uh, again, someone with sort of my limited songwriting experience uh, in comparison to yours, you, like you said, you just, you just play stuff. It's stuff comes yeah. out and then other people generally go, Oh, that sounds a bit like this or that sounds yeah. a bit like this. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Um, and and obviously just stuff filters through like different yeah. things. Cause if you're listening to something, yeah, you know, if, I, if I'm listening to white lies, there's all of your guys's history of listening to music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that. exactly. And, and, you know, nothing is ever going to sound original anyway. So there's no point, there's no point trying like, we're, <laughs> we're, we're, you know, we're all influenced by decades of music now. So, you know, just embrace it. And I think, and I, and I think there's also nothing wrong with with grabbing something from somewhere like oh I, there's a really there's a groove in a Shaka Khan song I really like like 
fuck it use it just you know try try and do something different with that like it that's just how that's how things happen um you know in art and in music so we don't we don't run away from anything and it's not like you know it's never like if we use a certain sound and we go oh no does that sound a bit too much like that band or something whatever it doesn't matter just use yeah. it if it's good and if it works like i just think go with it So there you have it, Charles K. My thanks to Charles for joining me on the show. My thanks to you, the listener, for joining me this week. Uh, if you like the podcast and you like what you hear, then please do uh, subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're on. Share it with your friends and your family and people you see on the street. Shout at them. Tell them to listen to this podcast. And uh, if you want to support the show further, you can go to www.com patreon.com forward slash the last line i realize that it's redundant me saying www you don't even actually have to type that in anymore that's not really a thing and i don't think people really say www anymore um but hey i did uh deal with it um thank you very much for joining me this week uh join me again next time um when i will be Speaking to um, uh, a man called Joe Dittmar, um, and he is a survivor of 9-11. It's one of the uh, hardest, but also, I'd say, rewarding interviews I've ever done on the podcast. Um, and I think it's uh, an important story, and it's an important thing to remember, Um so uh please join me for that uh next time until then i've been james alban and this is the last line